0: Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, No shenanigans, just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herb's top product for next to nothing.
1: Forget frequently asked questions.
0: Common sense, common knowledge,
1: or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field, sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius podcast. Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is
0: Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, and we've got a really great guest, Gabe Brown. I've watched a lot of his videos on YouTube. He's, taken a family farm that had super degraded soil and made it uh, unbelievably productive. And he consults with, I I don't know how many other farmers around the world on how to improve their soil uh, using regenerative agriculture. He's got a lot of fantastic ideas and experience to back them up. So Gabe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, I know you've probably recounted it 10,000 times, but um, would you be able to to just give a... um, you know, quick backstory on how you got into farming and where you, how you got to today.
2: Sure. So I grew up in the city of Bismarck, North Dakota, was not from a farm or ranch, but during my high school years, I took a real interest in farming and ranching and started working on farms. And then while I was in college, I married my high school sweetheart. And it just so happened that she was from a farm and Upon graduation from college, her folks asked us if we'd want to move onto the farm and eventually take it over. And I was excited to do so. My wife, not so much, but uh, we ended up back on her parents' farm. And after about eight years, we uh, purchased a part of that farm from them. And we've grown the operation since then. Yeah. And uh, just to give a quick, you know,
0: bookends to the conversation, what what are some of the metrics of the soil on the farm when you first took it over versus years later when it was at top capacity?
2: Yeah, so realize I learned how to farm and ranch from my father-in-law, very conventional, heavy tillage, the use of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. But then what happened to me, I not being from a farm, I was always trying to learn and I had read and studied about no-till and so in 1994 I went to 100% no-till, which means we didn't plow, we didn't till the soil. And then 1995 came along, we lost 100% of our crop to hail, never combined an acre, so couldn't pay the bank back the operating loans, so went backwards that year. 1996 came along, we lost 100% of our crop to hail again. 1997 came along, we dried out, there was a severe drought in this area. So no crop that year, 1998 came along and we lost 80% of our crop to hail. And I tell people those were extremely tough years to live through, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me because what it did, it showed me the, and taught me the principles of how healthy soils function, you know, and there are six underlying principles that are constant in nature no matter where we go and so i can literally travel all over the world and help people adopt these principles no matter where they live and so we've taken very degraded soils less than two percent organic matter today we're between five and eight percent organic matter in other words the carbon in the soil you know we've tripled the amount of carbon we have in our soils now took soils that could only infiltrate a half of an inch of moisture per hour. Now today we can literally, and this is proven scientifically, we can infiltrate 30 inches of rainfall per hour. Well, wow. Bismarck, North Dakota has never received 30 inches of moisture in a year, let alone in an hour. So, so what that's done is it's made our ranch very resilient. More resilient to drought, these swings in temperature and moisture. And it's also made it very profitable. A Quick question, Gabe. Have you looked at the
0: average root depth, or I don't know if there's terms for this to characterize root bundles, but the spread, the depth, the thickness, the number of roots, etc., like any of those metrics that you've observed?
2: Yeah, so I've had soil scientists come and study. Uh, our ranch, and the soil properties of the ranch. And we did a very extensive study here, 2017-2018, and they found that we now have well-aggregated topsoil in places down to four feet deep, whereas on neighboring farms, it's just a matter of inches deep. And think of soil aggregates like marbles in a jar. You know, if you put marbles in a jar and pour water into it, the water's going to move between the openings, between the marbles. Well, soil aggregates are like that. The more well aggregated your soil, the easier for the roots to go down, the easier for the water to go down. And then once you understand that soil microbiology lives in and on thin films of water in the pore spaces between those aggregates, and it's the soil bi- microbiology that provide the plants with the nutrients, your system becomes very healthy, and it's mm. able to function well without the use of all these synthetic fertilizers and pesticides and other amendments. Have, um, have you or anyone else uh,
0: characterized you know the local microbiome around certain plant types? I don't know how much it changes with soil composition or how much is governed by the plant itself, but Has anyone looked at that and seen any interesting conclusions from it?
2: Well, there's a lot of uh, scientists that have done research on that. Some that come to mind are Dr. James White, Rutgers University, Dr. Jack Schultz, University of Missouri, Dr. Chris Nichols. And they found that, you know, people think plants are just a growing object but really plants are a living organism that has the ability to sense what's in the soil around it and they can actually send out what's called root exudates carbon compounds into the soil to attract specific microbiology to bring it that plant the nutrients it needs and what we're finding is that plants that grow in Healthier soils have a much greater array of phytonutrient compounds, and they're much healthier themselves
0: yeah no that that's excellent what What does it do for a given crop if uh, the roots are able to go down let's say a foot or two versus just a few inches, or in terms of how you put it, the soil is properly aggregated down to feet instead of inches. What does that do for plants?
2: well obviously a pl- plant can't move you know. Uh, A cow can move around and select her diet somewhat based on on what species are out there. A plant cannot. However, in healthy soil, there are what's called mycorrhizal fungi. And these mycorrhizal fungi, I like to think of them as the streets and avenues of the soil. They move, they form an association with the roots of plants. And a single fungi can easily cover a thousand acres. So, you know, literally half a mile to a mile or more. And what that fungi will do is it will trade that plant nutrients for carbon compounds. So that plant through photosynthesis gets all these carbon compounds. It'll trade the fungi, some of those carbon compounds for nutrients. So there's this beautiful symphony going on in, the, in healthy soil where plants, fungi, biology, all work in harmony together for themselves, but working with the other species. Most supplements are taken
0: on faith and could take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, not in this interview, but you've mentioned cover crops. Is part of the function of cover crops um, so that those plants will attract maybe a different set of complementary microbes or mycorrhizae that will help your main plants?
2: That's exactly right. What we're trying to do with cover crops is simply mimic native ecosystems. If you look at a native, quote unquote native ecosystem, it's a very diverse community, diverse in terms of plants, animals, insects, etc. Well, those plants all have different root types, different rooting depths, and they will send carbon compounds into the soil to attract different biology to bring them different nutrients. Well, what we're trying to do with cover crops is we're trying to mimic a native perennial ecosystem in our annual cropping systems. So we still grow our annual cash crops, but we're also going to grow a cover crop in order to have the diversity and to cycle nutrients for the next year's cash crop. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you mentioned in one of your videos uh, certain nitrogen
0: fixers, maybe good plants to, to grow next to your main crops because they'll again reduce your nitrogen uh, inputs. Uh, what what are some of the other functions of cover crops that you've seen? I saw it, it reduces soil temperature, but you know, what are some other things that it does?
2: Well, one of the things uh, we do at Understanding Ag when we consult on farms and ranches, we first have to determine. What are the resource concerns of that particular farm or ranch in the particular fields they have? So, for instance, do they have too much bare soil? Are they trying to cover the soil? Do they need more nitrogen? Do they want to attract wildlife? Do they want to feed livestock? Do they have a salinity issue? You know, what is their resource concern? And then once we determine that, we can plant species of cover crops. That will help them address the resource concern. For instance, Richard, you talked about the need for certain plants to grow certain plants to cycle nitrogen. Well, we can grow legumes, which, if they're properly inoculated with the proper rhizobia, they will be able to take nitrogen out of the atmosphere. And above every surface acre of Earth, there's approximately 32,000 tons of atmospheric nitrogen. I can't for the life of me understand why farmers want to spend money on synthetic fertilizer when all they'd really have to do is have a proper crop rotation that includes legumes and they can cycle that nitrogen themselves at very little cost, you know, just the cost of the seed. Agriculture today is uh, focused on just producing yield and pounds, but at what cost, you know, where it's a great cost to farmers to buy this synthetic fertilizer. It's a great cost to society to use all the fossil fuels to produce these synthetic fertilizers. We can mimic nature in a regenerative system and not have those expenses. Before we
0: get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button, and we'll be able to solicit donations to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up and check in the description for buy me a coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going and I love coffee. Thank you. What's the difference between a cover crop and a weed as we would define it or as you would define it?
2: Yeah, and I don't don't like the term weeds because people think weeds are evil, but really what weeds are there for is because of something mankind caused. So most farmers look at a weed or gardeners look at a weed and they think, oh, I got to kill that weed. I look at that plant species and I say, okay, why is it there? And what's it trying to tell me? For instance, if I see dandelions growing, most farmers or gardeners would want to kill them. I'm going, no, that dandelion is telling me that there's a lack of calcium in the soil. And if we allow those dandelions to grow for a period of years, they will cycle enough calcium to treat that symptom. And then they'll go away. Uh, many other weeds come because there's been too much nitrogen applied. Farmers apply overapply nitrogen. Well, weeds are high users there of nitrate nitrogen. They're there to cycle that nitrogen. So, you know, any plant can be a, called a weed if it's out of place. If you have a cornfield and there's a soybean plant growing in it, You'd consider that soybean a weed. Well, the next yeah. year, that may be your cash crop. So we we have to stop thinking of plants as weeds and realize they're simply an indicator of a problem that we caused. So it's a really interesting, interesting perspective. Um, do you have
0: like a, a matrix or a chart which cover crops go well with which main crops? And if you're going to do a rotation, maybe the ideal... Rotation, you know, going
2: forward X number of years? Well, realize I'm sure you have podcast listeners from all over the world, and it will vary from area to area. So we don't have a chart per se, but there's really good information out there. There's a book that's available free for download from SARE, S-A-R-E, called Farming Cover Crops Profitably. Uh, There's some excellent online materials. There's books such as Weeds and What They Tell Us, Weeds, Guardians of the Soil. The Midwest Cover Crop Council has a a lot of good information available. If you go on our Understanding Ag website, we have a resource page with a lot of these resources available for free. Okay. Okay. Are there, um, in your experience, I mean,
0: I'm sure you've seen many different soil types. Are there infinite ones or, or are there uh, certain subsets that are common that you've observed?
2: Well, realize that all soils all over the world are made up of sand, silt, and clay. And there's just different variations thereof. That's why it doesn't matter where I travel from Australia to Europe to Africa, throughout North America. It doesn't matter because it's all sand, silt, and clay. So I often hear people say, but Gabe, you don't understand. My soil's not like that. Well, your soil's sand, silt, and clay, just various percentages thereof. It's not that difficult to work with. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about what particular percentage you have of each of those in the mix because it just doesn't matter. It's going to function. According to our management, so the key is to use our management as a tool to help that sand, silt, and clay function properly.
0: Well, how much do you have to change your methods if you have a high clay soil versus a high sand soil, or you know, if any of these parameters are way in one direction or another? Um, You know, again, how different is your your methods?
2: Sure, excellent question. And so the the principles are the same the species you we use would be slightly different in a clay soil clay soils are very tight soils and so we would use a lot of grass crops there grass crops have very fine roots and those fine roots uh, form associations with mycorrhizal fungi and that fungi has the ability to penetrate those tight clay soils in a sand soil we're going to use plant species with a lot of root biomass because sand soils are lacking that carbon to build that those soil aggregates so it's just different species that we would use uh depending on the component of your soils
0: yeah years ago i i grew some stuff in a a, t- a growth tent inside and I got a liquid mycorrhizal you know, additive, which seems to really help a lot. Does any, do, do farmers that farm outside on soil, do they ever use liquid mycorrhizal uh, helpers? Or is it just well, going to come from the soil from good practices?
2: And, and sure, you can use some to help jumpstart your soil. But realize there's over 175,000 known species of mycorrhizal fungi. What do you suppose the two they put in that jug or the two that you need? So my point being, yes, you can buy some of those amendments. They may or may not help you. But if we follow the principles, you know, keeping the soil covered, living root in the ground, diversity, we're going to develop those on our own. Do you know if anyone
0: has deliberately grown mushrooms or cultivated, you know, the, uh, the mycorrhizae on a certain part of their land in order to facilitate the spread of it to other parts
2: of their land? I wouldn't say that as much as what we often condone and promote is these practices. There will always be mycorrhizal fungi where there is perennial grasslands. So for instance, in a road ditch or along a fence row or a tree row, so what we promote is let's grow species that are mycorrhizal compatible in those fields. There are species such as brassicas, and brassicas are, are things like kale and collards and and uh, species like that, canola, that are not mycorrhizal compatible. So what we condone and promote is let's try and If we grow those species, let's immediately follow it with species that are mycorrhizal compatible, so then we can help build soil aggregates and build the populations of mycorrhizal fungi back.
0: Mm, Okay. But there's no farmers you know of that are deliberately trying to match certain fungi to improve their their soil?
2: Well, again, there's 175,000 known species. It's much more about the principles than it is a specific species of fungi. Mm. Okay.
0: Um, do, you, do you ever venture into the world of hydroponics or have any lessons that you've learned apply to that world? Or is it just totally different?
2: Well, the, the issues with hydroponics is soil is made up of billions of microorganisms. There's more microorganisms in a teaspoonful of healthy soil than there are people on this planet. I have yet to have anyone involved in hydroponics explain to me how they're going to get that many microorganisms in a hydroponic situation. Because realize it's the microorganisms that help bring the plants these wide array of nutrients. And so work done by by, uh, Dr. Stefan Van Vliet is showing using a mass spectrometer that the greater the diversity of plant species and microbiology in the soil, the greater the diversity of these phytonutrient compounds that will be available either animals or humans. And it's those phytonutrient compounds that drive human health. I just failed to see how plants grown hydroponically can supply the array of phytonutrients, as can plants grown in healthy soil. Yeah, has anyone looked at
0: the nutritional content or other types of metrics in soil-grown versus
2: hydroponically grown plants? Uh, I know for a fact that is being looked at now, and results will be out shortly. Yeah, that'll be really interesting.
0: I'm sure it's, uh, it may be dramatically different for the same okay. type of plant.
2: It is. And we're doing work, as a matter of fact, uh, with Understanding Ag on, we did work in the southeastern U.S. last year, and we're doing work in the northern plains this year, comparing farm management types, the quote-unquote conventional type model versus a, a regenerative type model to see what differences there are in these phytonutrient compounds. And what we're finding so far is absolutely amazing. There's major differences in the array and the quantity of these phytonutrients if you have uh, healthy soil. Mm, Okay. And is there there any
0: soil that's just so badly degraded that even you couldn't fix it? I haven't found
2: it yet. (laughs) Really? Okay. That's
0: amazing. Well,
2: realize it's all about a it's all about the processes of nature and nature functions the same it's it's sunlight and it's water Uh, you know we're taking that sunlight that energy and and moving it through a living plant and with water you form all these compounds so it's really not rocket science it's not that difficult the the hard part is that as human beings we think we're smarter than nature And that's just not so. Yeah, I agree. Um, Well, unfortunately, this won't be like a very happy type thing. But,
0: you know, there's a lot of reports flying around about famine coming, about yields, you know, collapsing, uh, you know, all over the world. What do you see as what's coming and what's happening and, and what can be done about it?
2: Well, I am not one to cry wolf and not one to panic. I do think that we are degrading our resources. I think we're we're tilling the soil way too much which releases carbon into the atmosphere, destroys soil aggregation, water infiltration, we're using way too much synthetic fertilizer, pesticides, fungicides, etc. which destroys the health of the ecosystem, ends up in our watersheds, causes problems, you know, in our ocean streams, estuaries, water supplies. Uh, I do think the food by and large that's produced today lacks the nutrient density we need. However, in saying that, you know, currently my partners and I at Understanding Ag are consulting on well over 32 million acres across North America and England. And what we're seeing is we're able to reverse that trend. We're able to take carbon back out of the atmosphere, put it in the soil where it belongs. We're able to hold nutrients on the landscape. We're able to increase farm profitability. We're able to significantly increase the phytonutrient compounds in the food that we produce. If we all start coming together and doing that, whether it be in our own garden or on our farms and ranches, we're going to be able to reverse this trend.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. You, you spoke about till multiple times. I've heard a little bit about till versus no till. But what, what is uh, tilling a soil do that's so bad? You know, what and, are some of the things that it messes up?
2: Yeah, great question. So what I tell people is, I use this analogy. Look at when the municipality goes to build a road. What's the first thing they do? They go and disk that area up. They till it repeatedly. Well, what are they trying to do? They're trying to collapse those pore spaces, the space between those soil aggregates, to make it very tight. And that way, it's a stable foundation for that road. The worst thing one can do if they have a garden is to go till that garden. Why do you grow a garden? It's to grow healthy food, right? But then you till the soil. Well, realize soil, those plants, vegetables that you're producing, depend on the biology in the soil to bring it the nutrients it needs. Well, you've just destroyed their home. You know, it's no different than a tornado or a hurricane coming through our house. That's what tillage but, but, does. And yeah, again, tillage, I guess,
0: I guess from an outsider's perspective, when I, I thought till was to aerate the soil to create pore spaces to... I thought that's why people mix it up but you're saying but it, it that's does the exactly
2: opposite. that's exactly wrong that's the opposite of what really happens again using the road as the analogy the building a road tillage collapses the pore spaces tillage makes it worse tillage compounds the problem it'll make your soils tighter and hard you till the soil in the spring and then wait a month or two you're going to have very hard soils right? Hmm. So like our garden on our farm hasn't been tilled since 1993. You know, that's why if you walk out into a forest or into a prairie, those soils aren't tight. They're not hard. They're not compacted. Why? Because of the diversity of plants growing on them and they haven't been tilled. Tillage for for human health and producing nutrient-dense food, tillage is one of the worst things we can do. Also, tillage reduces carbon from the soil up into the atmosphere. When we till the soil, we're actually contributing to climate change. So we need to it's reverse amazing. those practices. Yeah, it's amazing that what I
0: thought as a layperson would be helpful is the opposite. That's, that's really, really interesting. But mm-hmm. um, what, what, When you harvest, so when you do no-till, you know, obviously you're planting stuff, so you're disturbing the soil a bit. But when you harvest, are you pulling the roots out or are you just chopping off the stuff above ground and you leave the roots in the ground to, to die and be reabsorbed?
2: Like, how does it work? Yeah, well, that all depends on what we're harvesting. You know, obviously here on our ranch, we grow corn and wheat and oats and barley and all these different crops. We're able to harvest those crops, the above ground seed off of them, leaving the the stalks, and the stems, and the roots all intact, and then biology feeds on those. Now, in our garden, of course, if we have root vegetables, beets, carrots, species like that, obviously, we're going to pull those up. We're going to pull the roots up because we're going to consume them, but that's all the disturbance to the soil there is. You know, when I go to seed my crop fields, whether I'm seeding wheat or corn You can barely see where I open the soil enough to plant the seed. There's what's called no-till equipment today that disturbs the soil very little. It's only a fraction of an inch wide. And that keeps all the pore spaces intact and the home for biology intact. So what does the soil look like um, in a
0: no-till situation with... uh plants are leaving the roots there versus ones where they're root vegetables let's say
2: well and realize that you will see a difference if you were to take a spade and dig a shovel full of soil there just won't be the disturbance it'll be well aggregated it'll look like more or less like dark chocolate cake and and where you disturb the soil it's not going to look like that
0: well is it um So if you're doing no-till, but you have root vegetables, I mean, because you're pulling out the roots, you're disturbing the soil more than you otherwise would. Yeah. So is there anything different you have to do to make sure that the soil is undisturbed as possible if you're, you know, harvesting root vegetables?
2: Well, you know, it's not a perfect world. If you pull up root vegetables, you're going to have disturbance. The key to that, though, is the next year. What are you going to do after that? You harvest that root vegetable either plant a cover crop and don't disturb the soil or the net following year you plant a cash crop and it will not be a root vegetable. You don't disturb the soil. The key is to minimize that disturbance. And what's what's remodeling the soil into these like chocolate
0: clumps? Is it earthworms? Is it bacteria that are remodeling it? Like how is is it accomplished to make these shapes? Mm
2: -hmm. So if we look at what happens there, Plants take in sunlight, combines with water, photosynthesis occurs, and these carbon compounds are produced. That plant then uses some of those compounds for growth, and some of those it translocates down to its roots, where it expels them into the soil to attract biology. It exchanges those carbon compounds for the nutrients biology brings it. So biology produces sticky substances that hold these sand, silt and clay particles together to form what's called soil aggregates. And a soil aggregate is a very small, minute uh, compound of sand, silt and clay and these glues. Well, these soil aggregates will only last approximately four weeks and then biology will consume those glues. And you better have living plants to produce more aggregates. If not, you're going to get very tight soils. So it's living plants and biology, including mycorrhizal fungi, that actually build soil aggregates. And those soil aggregates give it that chocolate cake-like appearance.
0: So is there this perpetual cycle then in the soil where aggregates are being formed and then broken down, formed and broken down? That's
2: that's right. There There is in healthy soil. And one of the issues with the commonly used agricultural practices today is they only produce a cash crop for a very short time. And then there's no living plants. If there's no living plants, you're not producing soil aggregates. And so that's one of the reasons we see all these devastating floods we have now. The the fields are no longer able to infiltrate water. I told you early on in this podcast that when we purchased this farm, we could only infiltrate a half of an inch of rainfall per hour. Well, now it doesn't matter what it rains here, I'm going to be able to infiltrate it into the soil. So um, much of the flooding we're seeing today globally is the direct result of mismanagement of our soils.
0: Yeah, you that's know, really interesting. I'm, I'm sure some biologists have characterized, you know, like within a particular aggregate, it sounds like a microenvironment's being created for a period of time that will allow certain organisms to flourish. And again, that gets broken down and then recreated, broken down and recreated. Has anyone looked at, you know, the the composition of aggregates versus like the surrounding non-aggregate soil or other aggregates and see how it's different from, again, the surrounding medium?
2: Well, I'm sure they have. And we, we as consultants at Understanding Ag, when we do our water infiltration tests on our clients' soils, we see differences like that all the time. I'm not a scientist, so I don't. I'm not doing scientific analysis of those, but I'm sure that's out there. Yeah, it's just really interesting. I wonder if anyone has coined, you know, the
0: term like a an, an aggregate life cycle you know, a soil aggregate lifestyle cycle, but oh, I'm yeah. sure many, many people have.
2: Oh, yeah, that's that's readily available. Uh, Dr. Uh, B- Drs. Brady and Weil in their Nature and Property of Soils talk about that.
0: Yeah, very interesting.
2: Are there uh, are there new approaches
0: that you're developing that maybe are just being tested right now? Like, is there any? you know, as the old saying goes, is there anything new under the sun <laughs> in terms of your understanding or, or not?
2: Well, I I just prefer to look back at a lot of, quote, unquote, old understanding. Many of the methods and practices we use in what we call regenerative agriculture were used by generations before us. And we kind of got away from that. You know, when I went down this path, I tell people I started by reading Thomas Jefferson's old journals. What was he doing On his plantation, he was planting cover crops to feed the soil and to cycle nutrients. And, you know, today we've gotten away from that, as I said, and we instead write checks and use all these synthetic compounds that actually do more harm than good. So I don't think it's so much about new technology as it is about education and understanding. We have to understand how ecosystems function. And then we, through our management, have to strive to allow these natural processes to take place. Yeah. Why do artificial
0: fertilizers and inputs, uh, you know, disturb the soil? What are they doing? Are they just, there's no need for the soil to develop the ability to produce its own nitrogen, let's say? Like, why do they cause problems?
2: Yeah. Well, there's a number of different ways. I'll just discuss a couple of them so realize that soil is about is approximately 1 part nitrogen to 11 parts of carbon so when you apply this synthetic nitrogen the soil biology is going to consume that nitrogen but it's got to meet its carbon needs so it goes looking for carbon so it starts eating all the organic matter or carbon in the soil and what happens then Your soils become tighter and tighter. It eats the glues that hold the aggregate together. So you cannot infiltrate water. And without those soil aggregates, you don't have the pore spaces for biology to live in and on. And so you destroy the ability of that soil to not only infiltrate water, but to be the home for biology and to cycle nutrients. So you're actually having a detrimental negative effect on not only your pocketbook, but the soil resource itself. And, Hmm. you know, I wanna make this point clear. I am not telling people do not use synthetic nitrogen, but we're way over applying these nutrients. You know, one of the things that our consultants do is they do a soil test with the new client called the total nutrient digestion. And that total nutrient digestion test looks at the total amount of nutrients in the soil. Okay, do we have the nutrients we need for profitable production? As I told you earlier, we're on over 32 million acres. How many acres do you think we found are deficient in nutrients? The answer is zero. We've never found a single farm or ranch that is deficient in nutrients. Wow. The soils are deficient in biology to cycle those nutrients, but they're not deficient in nutrients. Yeah. What do the farmers and ranchers do? They keep going and applying more nutrients. Instead. It's so they
0: crazy. Should
2: be, they should so, be so, focusing on biology. So everything
0: a farmer could need is sitting there right in the soil, but they don't, it's not unlocked by the biology. Is that what you're saying?
2: in the soil or in the air, you know, and, and look at this way. Okay. There's been a lot of studies done and you can Google it or get it on YouTube where they grow a plant in a container. They weigh that soil in the container, grow that plant. And when they grow this big plant, there's still the same weight of soil in that pot. Well, where did the nutrients come from? They didn't apply any. Well, the answer is come from the air and come from that plant's ability to cycle those nutrients. A growing plant, about 95 to 97% of what that plant needs comes out of the air. Okay. Huh. So we have this misconception, humans do, that we have to supply the nutrients. You know, oftentimes I haven't applied a single pound of nutrients on our ranch purchased nutrients since 2007 okay i'm you know going on 15 years nothing applied i always have people telling me gabe you're going to run out of nutrients and i laugh at them and i say when when my roots won't go to china i mean (laughs) a, a million years from now I'll still have plenty of nutrients on this landscape that's not the issue you know the issue is we just don't understand you know we that's have amazing. To educate ourselves.
0: Yeah, no, that's, so that's what I was going to ask you is, um, what are the major inputs that farmers will use on fields? And how much have you been able to reduce or eliminate those with your method of farming?
2: Yeah, so I will talk first about myself, and then I'll talk about my clients. So on our own ranch, we have eliminated 100% of the fertilizers, 100% of the pesticides, hundred percent of the fungicides. Once in a while, I may use a herbicide, but it's not very often. Okay. And that's more for convenience than anything else. Now on our clients, let me give you this example. I'm working with a client here. I've been, this is the fourth crop year that I've been working with this family. They have reduced in four years, their fertilizer by from 40 to 60% reduction, 100% reduction in pesticides, 100% reduction in fungicides, and about a 30 to 40% reduction in herbicides. That's a lot of money savings. Uh, they are a 4,800, 4,800 acre farm, and they're literally saving hundreds of thousands of dollars each year. Why? Because they now understand, they've educated themselves as to how ecosystems function and what they need to do to cycle those nutrients naturally and build healthy soils. This isn't that difficult. I tell people it's not rocket science. It's simply a matter of education and understanding. And realize you go to your local agronomist, they're not going to tell you that you have plenty of nutrients in the soil. If they do that, they're not going to be able to sell you anything. Right. So one of the differences between our firm, our consulting firm and others is we don't sell you anything. We're simply selling our time. You pay for our time and expertise, but we don't sell you anything because the minute, if we sell you something, then it's skewed. Why am I selling you it? You know, no, we want to educate you. And our goal is in three years, you shouldn't need to hire us anymore. You should have the knowledge you need to operate without us. Well, it's
0: amazing. What, what kind of um, suspicions do you get from people that, that want to work with you? What are, what are they afraid of and what are they suspicious of about your method?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And realize it's hard to implement what you do not know. So you can't blame farmers and ranchers for not using these regenerative practices when nobody has taught them that. But our land grant universities sure don't teach us that. Our extension agents don't teach us that. Our agronomists don't teach us that. So you need to learn. Another reason is fear of the unknown. You know, we all have different aversions to risk. Some people wouldn't hesitate at all about jumping on an airplane and skydiving. Others might be deathly afraid of it, right? So there's a fear of the unknown. You know, you just don't know. Another reason is farming and ranching today is a very capital-intensive business. It takes large amounts of money to put that crop in every year, and you're gambling with it. Well, many, the vast majority of farmers and ranchers have to go to a lending institution and borrow capital in order to put that crop in the ground every year. Well, that lending institution isn't going to want to loan money to them if they feel that it's at risk of not being paid back. Now, the ironic thing about that is Dr. Jonathan Lundgren at the ECDIS Foundation has a research paper out there that shows that regenerative farms and ranches have a 78% greater profitability. That's tremendous. Huge amount, 78% greater profitability. So it's simply a lack of understanding, fear of the unknown.
0: Hmm. No, that's 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 really amazing. I, I think in one of your videos you showed that literally a farm right across the street is in full view of what you do and they don't change anything. That's just kind of weird to me. It's it's crazy, you know.
2: Well, but realize they don't see my bank account, you know. Hmm, that's right. You know, um it's there's an old adage that goes when a student is ready, the teacher will appear. Well, Mm. my neighbor just isn't ready, you know, Mm. (laughs) and I'm not going to force somebody into doing this. I, you know, plenty busy the way it is. And so I don't want to spend my time, you know, the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, I'm not going to spend my time Trying to force this on anyone, they have yeah. to want to learn about it.
0: No, that's true. That's true.
2: Are, are there any large projects that you're working on now
0: that are different from your typical consulting that you can talk about?
2: Well, the the most exciting project to me is the one we're doing: phytonutrient compounds and the nutrient density. You know, whether we admit it or not, there's a human health crisis going on worldwide. You know look at the increase in uh obesity and and all these uh all these different diseases and you know you look at what's happening to our children and a d d and a d h d and all of these and I contend that the vast majority of these are at least in some part due to the foods that we're consuming today mm. and I think that very few people truly know what nutrient dense food tastes like, because once you taste nutrient dense food, your body will crave it and it'll want that. And I contend today we don't eat food. We eat food like substances, you know, look at the ingredient list. You know, I mean, I picked up a box of crackers in a store not too long ago And there was 59 ingredients in that cracker. How can that be healthy for you? Because they certainly weren't things I recognize, you know? So what we're doing is we're working with doctors, scientists, and the medical profession to determine how high is the nutrient density of foods grown and raised in healthy soils. And our goal is to show the consumer that they need to use their buying dollar to purchase foods that are higher in nutrient density, and that will have a direct positive impact on their health.
0: yeah, what have you noticed when you eat a um, i don't know you know if you pick a food you know one that's grown um, by one of your farmers or by yourself versus one that's grown conventionally with pesticides fertilizers, et cetera, like how much of a yeah. of a difference and what have you noticed?
2: yeah, realize I travel extensively. I'm on the road about two hundred and eighty days a year, oh, and wow. uh, I take most of my food with me as I travel because mm. I just can't stand the taste of it. I mean, I haven't ate fast food in years, and i just I just refuse. Like most places when you you go there, it's just, it's garbage. And your stomach knows it, you you know, the Hmm. microbiome in your gut, your body tells you this is not good. You know, I I Hmm. can tell the difference immediately.
0: Hmm. Well, um, the difference is what? You just feel better when you eat the fruit? I mean, sorry, the foods that are grown properly or
2: taste a lot
0: better? Like, what have you done? Yeah,
2: let me use this as an example. Taste is one thing. You know, nutrient dense food tastes really good, but we have to be a little leery. You know, there's a great book out there by Mark Schatzker called The Dorito Effect, and he (laughs) talks in depth about how the food industry, you know, they've been able to use these salts and sugars and spices to trick people's minds into believing it's healthy, okay? Mm. Well, it's really not. So we have to be careful of that. But I will use this as an example. Look at the current COVID pandemic. Okay. In the two years that the COVID pandemic was going on, I was on over 500 flights. Okay. If anybody's going to get sick from COVID, it should have been me because I was contained Mm. in airplanes and airports and hotel rooms. Well, I ate my own food, nutrient dense food. I caught COVID a couple of times. It never slowed me down. I kept going. It just mm. doesn't bother me. I rarely get sick. Why? Because I have a healthy gut microbiome. And so I don't worry at all about things like COVID. My gut is yeah. healthy enough. I, I have no concern over that. Okay. You should
0: tell people you're, you're 300 years old. That would be a good testimonial, you know?
2: Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, you know, um,
2: well, well, really
0: interesting, Gabe. It's it's really cool to hear how you've thought through these things very differently than than other people have. It seems like, I don't know why, but it, it just seems like um, your mind was open to a lot of possibilities that other people's minds are not for some reason. Like, do you ever reflect on that? You know, why well, were you opening this? Why, when your farm didn't work at first, did you not just say, to heck with it and give up like why did you take it as a lesson
2: yeah and i you know realize i'm a christian and i really believe i was put through those four years of hail and drought to make a difference i believe god showed me how nature functions during those four years and he used me is using me today as a tool to teach others and spread the word that hey we have to get back to a more natural system for the benefit of not only us as individuals, but of the planet as well and of future generations. And, you know, I I just thoroughly enjoy now I get, you know, I speak to people all over the world. I travel extensively and, and we're really seeing a resurgence of people taking an interest in going back to these methods that work in synchrony with nature rather than against her.
0: Well, excellent. Gabe, you know, thank you for what you do. I mean, you're making a big difference in the world and really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been really great to talk to you.
2: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you
0: very much. Remember before you go to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing, all natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com
1: to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.